Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael like to debate and deliberate the Mount Rushmore of any given topic. And this week is no different when they debate the Mount Rushmore of what is it, Richard? Controversial angles in wrestling. Okay. Not counting Kurt Angle. Not counting Kurt Angle. Different angle. All right. uh, What is an angle in wrestling? So it's basically it's a story. It's basically a storyline. So okay. these are. This is not necessarily when something happened in a wrestling match that was not planned. So something unfortunate like Owen Hart falling to his death isn't necessarily an angle. It's something that happened. Okay. But a storyline that wound up getting out of control or having a really either negative reaction or really people had a really strong reaction to it that would fall within this i think within this world okay cool so normally richard and michael oppose each other but they like a good tag team uh are uh joining their strength to take off (laughs) take on a, a a foe and that foe is actually a friend of mine and a really funny guy james walker how are you doing james i'm good jeff thanks for having me good thanks for being on the show uh you have a uh, vast experience as a graphic designer and worked on publications, and you worked on a, uh, a wrestling publication. What was it? Uh, yeah, I was at uh, WWE Magazine for a couple years. Uh, you know, they were trying to go the Lad Mag route, oh, okay. trying to match up with Maxim and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they brought in, they were bringing in all sorts of designers, people from different backgrounds, and it was fun sort of being in Titan Tower in Stanford, Connecticut. And, and as dumb as it sounds, you would bump into wrestlers in the hallway. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, it was great. Saw Vince a couple times and, and you don't forget that. He is every bit as ridiculous in person as he is on mm-hmm. television. He really walks like that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, what, uh, James, I have one question. What yeah. is Vince's favorite font? And why is it favorite Comic font? Sans? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean... I can't say fonts, but I know that te- the color teal uh, has been synonymous with wrestling and Vince for a long time. Um, side note, teal. teal. It's like that sort of off green, oh, yeah, yeah, off yeah. blue. Um, Roddy, Roddy Piper's daughter wrestles under the name Teal Piper because of that. It's a wow. big wrestling color. If you look at old 80s wrestling, hmm. every other wrestler has teal on their, on their tights or cape or whatever. Uh, so can I ask you when you were there is, so if I, I work for a, an entertainment company, um, symbolized by a mouse and I can't say that I'm a huge fan of everything that they've ever produced. Uh, but were your coworkers all big fans of the entertainment, uh, that you were talking about? It was split. I mean, there were, there were, there were diehards, but, um, for the most part, the, the crew I worked with took it very ironically. You know what I mean? Like we, we had TVs on everywhere playing wrestling all the time. And it got to a point where, you know, you had your favorite thing, but it was normally because it was something pretty ridiculous. So I've always gravitated towards the weird uh, stuff in wrestling anyways, the Uh odder storylines. So it was great for me. Okay. Well, speaking of odd storylines and speaking of controversial works, uh, I am going to be deposed as a referee. Coming online right now, we have my good buddy Eddie Firth, who is a, among many things, a stand-up comic and a experienced and seasoned uh, wrestling referee. How are you doing, Eddie? Hey, Jeff. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How about how's everything about you? Pretty good. Re- uh, Eddie, online we have Richard Manfredi and Michael Winfield and James Walker. Uh, they are good Good buddies. Michael and Richard are the co-hosts of the Mount, sorry, the, the co-producers of the Mount Rushmore podcast, and they normally compete against each other. But today, Richard and Michael are going to be on one team, and James is going to be on another team. And they are going to each choose their Mount Rushmore, alternating back and forth. And Eddie, you are going to be the ultimate judge about who makes the best choice or who makes the supports their decision the best. I'll still act as moderator, but you're going to chime in 
at any and all times that you feel like it. Eddie, could you tell us a little bit about what it's like to work in the milieu of uh, wrestling? Um, it's one of my favorite things that I get to do. Um, I grew up a wrestling fan. I don't know, are you guys are you guys all wrestling fans? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I grew up watching it since I was five years old. Um, I don't. I was not big enough to ever compete, but when I got the opportunity to start refereeing, I mean, I just enjoyed being around the business when I was starting to get involved, when they actually put me in the ring and I could interact with the wrestlers and I was part of the story and everything. It just, it's so much fun. You're going out there with some of your good friends, people you respect and enjoy while they put on a live stunt show right in front of you. It's, it's awesome. Cool. Cool. So, uh, Eddie is going to jump in, and he's going to ultimately make the picks at the end, but I'm going to hang in as moderator, keep things moving. Um, uh, it's, it's Jeff Hopkins, Jeff the Body Hopkins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Abdicated all of his all of his responsibility in the ring, just sitting outside and commenting and calling us uh, uh, knuckleheads. If they, thought just, I was, if they thought I was lazy before. <laughs> yeah, you're just in the gorilla position, just overlooking everything. That's right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, our guest always goes first. James Walker, what is your first choice for the Mount Rushmore of controversial wrestling angles? Okay, uh, my first choice is the big boss man, Phoebes, Al Snow, his own dog. Um, That's a great choice. So they were feuding at the time, big boss man, Ray Trailer, who was a uh, prison guard-themed wrestler, and Al Snow, who was sort of that up-and-coming hardcore style that they pushed a lot uh, in in the Attitude Era. And Al Snow had a mannequin head that he walked around with and he used to shake it at everybody. And he lost that and uh, replaced it with a, a, a small chihuahua. Well, they're all small, I guess. A chihuahua named Pepper that he loved. And um, uh, one week, Pepper turned up missing and he was distraught about this. And he was he was cutting these promos Where's my dog? I want my dog back. Um, eventually, he started to get ransom notes from the big boss man saying, uh, if you want your dog back, we got to have a hardcore championship match. I want that belt. And uh, they had the belt. Al Snow won. And uh, the big boss man took the dog anyways and left. Um, oh, then no. he said, <laughs> next week, he said uh, he appeared on the Titan Tron or something like that. And he said, uh, if you want your dog, no funny business. Come to my hotel room. Uh, come to my hotel room and I'll give you your dog back. And so he went by himself for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, and the guy's been trying to kill him for weeks. And he just goes and meets him in his hotel room. And he's like, all right, where's my dog? I want my dog. And he's like, what? Well, your dogs at the groom are getting cleaned up right now. But when you sit down and uh, have, have some of this food, I prepared best food in town. Just have a seat. Your dog will be here any minute. And he just kept pushing him to eat the food, pushing him to eat the food. Uh, he eats it. It's Chinese food. It's pepper steak. Of course, um, it's Chinese food. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because it also it had they they had to throw a little bit of racism in with the animal cruelty, um, but it was also Lawler could make a joke about pepper steak later too. Uh, Naturally. But, uh, right. Because yeah. Um, so he eats it, and then he's like, "All right, where's my dog? I ate your stupid food. Where's where's my dog?" And he's like, "You ate your dog. You ate your dog. That was pepper." And uh, so Al Snow throws up, they have a little bit of a fight, and uh, you think that it's all over then, right? Because the big boss man has won. But it's not. It culminates in what is one of the most ridiculous spectacles ever, a fight called a, a Hell in a Kennel match, in which um, they have the, in addition to the regular steel cage around the ring, they also set up the Hell in a Cell. So it's... The ring, cage, a moat, if you will, and then the cell. And into that, they are going to load in all of these, quote unquote, vicious dogs. So the night <laughs> of the pay-per-view happens, or I think it was a pay-per-view, uh, these dogs come out and it's Dobermans and, you know, pit bulls, the usual, you know, suspects. And they're all led out by like these animal handlers. So it looks pretty legit. But the Dogs were the most docile. Uh, <laughs> there was not a bark. There was not a growl. They were not dangerous at all. Um, they ended up uh, 
going to the bathroom all over the place because uh, I think they were probably <laughs> scared too. Um, and then the whole match was like all of this forced uh, danger where like, you know, one of them would be dangling over a dog. So it looked like they're almost about to get bit, but the dogs didn't care. So it, <laughs> it looked stupid. Um, dog starts. Yeah. Dog starts uh, just li licking their face at some point. <laughs> Luckily, it, it was only their faces that they were looking. Cause, you know, <laughs> so I can't, I can't believe the dogs didn't sell for anybody. <laughs> it, well, they were WCW fans, I think. Maybe. <laughs> so um, eventually, Al gets head back. So the story actually does go full circle. And he ends up winning with the help of his mannequin head. And uh, forgetting about the fact that he ate his dog. Like, he, it just sort of, <laughs> it's just gone after that. But, um, yeah. Uh, the big boss man made Al Snow eat his own dog. That's my first part. <laughs> when was uh, that? That's an, that's an uh, incredible story. That was the Attitude Era of the 90s. Okay. When, yeah, when they were doing anything and everything to get ratings. And okay. the big boss man was ridiculous. You know the Attitude Era, the one that all the smarts say is the best era ever. Oh, they're wrong. <laughs> no, they're, they're, yeah, it's it's absurd. <laughs> And okay. look, the, the Rock in Austin is great in the Attitude Era. Everything else is, is no good. <laughs> All right, uh, Winfield and Manfredi, what are you coming out with? Well, well Mike, um, Michael, yeah. I believe you should go first since we have a big boss man pick as well. Sure. Well, our, our first pick is the big boss man versus the big show, uh -huh. just in, in casket nonsense. I have that when, on my um, list as well. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was so delighted to hear Big Boss Man's name came up before, and I did not know that other storyline, so this is just uh, incredible. But I guess he has a pension for just being just a, a bad dude. I mean, you know, his entire character, uh, before he kind of got dudded out in, you know, SWAT gear, was he was just like a, cor a former corrections officer, which I think he was in real life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was uh, just this very large man in a very sweaty, light blue kind of police uh, outfit out of something that, like, the Dukes of Hazard, uh, the Duke brothers would get chased around by. But um, at some point in 1999, during this Attitude Era, uh, he got involved in a feud with um, the Big Show, who was, like, the current giant at the time. And I guess he's still the current giant. I, I don't know if there's anyone that has kind of surpassed Braun him. Braun Strowman. Like, okay, there you go. I'm, I'm not as I'm not as um, up to date on. Big Show currently plays himself on a Netflix sitcom. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. Oh, he's doing they'll, well they'll for himself. Give, they'll give anybody a Netflix show. <laughs> <laughs> well, within the storyline, the um, Big Show's um, father had passed away. I don't know why. That had Maybe happened he, in real life, by the way as well oh it had yeah i read yeah. that i read that it had i read that his his dad was still alive at the time but maybe i m read an old article wow. so uh, it just goes to show that um uh these people are unscrupulous and what they'll use to try to sell a wrestling match um so the big show's father had passed and uh at the funeral the big show is standing around in like you know black leather jacket and up rolls uh the big boss man in a car that looks like it's out of like the blues brothers, which is like an old, just an, an old, you know, um, police car with this giant, giant megaphone or, uh, loudspeaker on top. And he starts berating, uh, the big show. I don't I can... know. I don't really know why did he just hate him? I mean, I guess everybody just hated each other because of wrestling. Richard. I was going to say, I cannot understate how big this megaphone is, the speaker yeah. that he's got on his car. It's roughly the size of his car. I yes. watch the Blues Brothers if you want to see what it looks like. I mean, it's... Basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he starts berating him and insulting him and uh, knocks him down with the car and then takes, you know, an extended period of time to chain up the casket of his father to this car and then drags it through the, the cemetery with uh, the big show leaping on top of and rolling off of and it's just it's just ridiculous and violent and unnecessary um flash forward um a few weeks a few months i don't know how long these feuds go and um 
the big boss man is invading the home of uh, <laughs> the big show's so mother. Part two, yeah. You're sure it's it's a two. Yeah. You know, you it's you got to have the three parts to any good story, uh, including the actual wrestling match where you know people are just clobbered. And uh, he invades the home of the big show's mother and just berates her into the to uh, I guess divulging some information that uh, the big show is an illegitimate child and of course that is t- you know one step too far and it leads to a match at uh, armageddon uh, where the the two giant sweaty men smash into each other for a little bit and, and it should be noted that like you said um big boss man was the hardcore champion at the time and this was for like the fill in the blank biggest wrestling championship the wwf uh, the WWE championship or the heavyweight champion. I don't know which one it was. It was one of them. I don't even and of remember course, the match. I just remember yeah. the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, you know, it, that's the, the whole point is that the wrestling doesn't matter. It's all the nonsense around it. And you know, the big show eventually beats him down and wins. And I guess they just go back to work together. His father comes <laughs> back to life. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there you go. James, so, why did so, you choose this one? Sorry, Eddie. Go um, ahead. I, I mean, because it's it's just so ridiculous. It's the yeah. Blues Brothers car. It's the uh, the the visual of the Big Show being dragged <laughs> away mm-hmm. on the back of it, on the back of the casket. And it's in that the last thing that happens in that home invasion, um, he gets right in the camera, and because he's been making fun of the Big Show for having a dead dad, like because that's you know laughable. And now he's <laughs> quote unquote. So this. So now he's saying. <laughs> he gets in the camera, like, you know, hits him right here. Um, you're nothing but a nasty bastard. That's 10 times worse than having a dead daddy. Um, and I'll never forget yeah, you got that delivery. It was great. Ray trailer. Rest in peace. Uh, a little joke from Eddie Firth uh, when we commented on the big show having a show on Netflix. Uh, Eddie is one of the creators of the Historical Roasts, uh, which is a Netflix show hosted by the Roastmaster General uh jeff ross if i uh, believe <laughs> uh was... again they'll literally give anyone a show <laughs> <laughs> well that's a great show and and uh very theatrical and probably uh it almost seems like one kind of aspect of your uh love of the big big storytelling that happens in the milieu of wrestling is also played out in historical roasts uh, uh would you mind describing that show to our listeners eddie so historical roast is a classic celebrity style honoree roast, except every one of the characters is a dead historically based character. Mm-hmm. So we roast Abraham Lincoln. We roast uh, Anne Frank during World War II. We roast Martin Luther King Jr. We just, any, any, any dead historical figure is uh, put on the hot seat and a bunch of their, their friends and colleagues roast them. Yes. And uh, back when the world was normal, that uh, show was happening still as a live comedy show at the comedy store. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Wednesday evenings, once a month, we would we would roast somebody at the comedy store. We've got a couple ready as soon as we can open back up and get back, uh, get back to it. We'd love to roast mm-hmm. COVID-19. I was going to say, I can't wait. I can't wait for you guys to, to get that bastard Louis Pasteur. Yeah. <laughs> with him. So we've what, roasted, we've roasted Macho Man Randy Savage. We've roasted Andre the Giant, the Ultimate Warrior. We've we've done them uh, at the Comedy Store and at Meltdown when we were there. Uh, so far, we uh, we're not quite at our halftime. But Eddie, what do you think of the commentary so far? Are these guys revealing what they know or don't know about how an angle is created or how what it needs to work? I mean, they're, def- they're definitely hitting all the aspects that are important to each one of the storylines. They're hitting the major, the major topics, what really happened, you know, uh, very well versed. Uh, they could, they could add some flair to it right now. We're right now we're, we're, we're strictly reading facts, but remember, this is a business of show, right? Make me feel <laughs> what's going on. Don't just tell me what's going on. Make me feel what's going on. I would really, I wanted to be in the room. When yeah. Al Snow ate pepper, I wanted to be in <laughs> the casket. graveyard. Yeah, I wanted to. Be, if you could have put me in the casket, oh, oh that would have been. I was gonna say I just wanted to be at the cemetery, but now you see what I, that's what I'm looking for. If we're, we're almost yeah. How many more uh, are we listing? 
Oh, well, well, we've got, uh, looks like we've got one more from Michael and Richard because, uh, James, you had the same one, the big boss man, big show casket heist. So am I right that, uh, yes. Michael and Richard will do another one. Then we'll be at our halftime. Absolutely. And okay. I will jump, I will jump in and take this one. Okay. So it is 1996 and the two main wrestling promotions are WWF and WCW, but there is a third upstart wrestling promotion that's just a little bit more extreme i'm talking of course about ecw and they were uh owned by paul Heyman, and they were known for doing wrestling angles that maybe the other promotions would would think were a little too shocking or a little bit too uh hardcore um and i'll set the stage there are two main players in this one of them is the sandman who i think you could best say is the very sleazy uh, version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, someone who basically comes to the ring drinking beers, drinks beers during his matches, smokes cigarettes during his matches, is basically this hardcore sleazo type guy. He's the good guy in this, in this <laughs> thing, by the way. Uh, he is pitted against a wrestler named Raven, who basically is, if Eddie Vedder led a cult... <laughs> That's what Raven would be. Yeah. And they have a series of matches where Raven, as part of his cult, which I think was called The Flock at the time, um, indoctrinates Sandman's ex-wife and also his, like, eight-year-old son. Oh, wow. Um, so they have a series God, it's all, of... All, the, all this family drama is really dominating <laughs> the, the uh, controversial uh, wrestling take so far. Yeah, it's interesting that they, they tend to... It's almost like the, like like wrestlers have family issues. Hmm. Strange. Um. They get to a they get to a match where Raven uh, and Sandman have this you know blow off supposed to be, you think it's going to blow off the feud. Raven's son helps Sandman. You think say Raven or, or yeah, Sandman's son helps Sandman. My mistake. And you think that everything's going to be patched back up, and then Sandman's kid goes and let's blast him right in the nuts. Um. This is not the controversial part. The controversial part is when Raven, along with two of his cronies, Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards, go under the ring and pull out barbed wire and a crucifix and proceed to place Sandman on said crucifix, wrap barbed wire around his head, and then parade him out of the ring and out to the back. Oh, wow. That's the angle. That's the angle. A biblical crucifixion or... Uh, it was yeah, it was a crucifixion. The crucifixion of Sandman is what this has been been come to be known as. And the, the ECW wrestling fans were known for being kind of more. There, there's a based in Philly. This is a very Philly type crowd. So if you can imagine what that, what that, everything that entails. Even they basically decided this was a bridge too far for them, <laughs> and started booing and not in that sort of I hate you wrestler because you're playing bad guy angle more in the we're a bunch of catholics here and we're going to riot <laughs> and the interesting part is that kurt angle um had made an appearance that night they were trying to sign him he had just won the uh olympic gold medal in the 96 olympics and they were trying to sign him to do an angle with one of their wrestlers taz so they had him come out and do something in the ring and do some commentary kurt angle is also very religious and when he saw this angle taking place he just starts screaming at Paul Heyman about, did you know about this? And if I, if my name is associated with this anyway, I'm going to sue you until you're broke and da, 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 da. And Paul Heyman basically goes, Oh, I didn't know anything about this. They did this on their own, <laughs> which is complete bullshit. But he forces Raven to then have to come back out to the crowd, break character and read this very insincere sounding apology. that if anyone was offended by their use of religious iconography, he apologizes for it, which just does just enough to stop the riot, um, but becomes this thing where it's, I think in the future, we sort of had the answer to the question is what's too far in a wrestling angle? Oh yes, crucifixion. That <laughs> might be, so oh wait, hold on a second. But, but, I was just gonna say, but wait yeah. a second. Turns out that's not the case because a couple of years later during the Attitude Era, uh, Undertaker winds up crucifying Stone Cold Steve Austin during a, an episode and of Raw. Stephanie. And Stephanie. 
Yeah, I think, and, and, I, and, and Vince, would, Vince would never admit it was a cross. He would only say it was, it's a symbol. And that's not a cross, it's the Undertaker symbol. Ugh. So. I, I think the difference was the crown of thorns. I think that's, yeah. that's when it gets a little bit, that's when it goes a bit of a bridge too far. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vince McMahon also is some, somebody who booked himself to go over on God in a yeah. tag team match at one point. So maybe he's not the best judge of what this, what, what's appropriate and not. But hmm. yeah, this is one time where the most extreme of all wrestling organizations took it too far. You know, and after that, as soon as when, you know, when the audience was you know, streaming out of the uh, auditorium, uh, when Tori Amos's Crucify was being played, that it was just a bad <laughs> It was just a bad choice. It's poor timing. Yeah. It's just poor timing. It was just on a playlist. It was just going. It should have waited until, um, I guess, uh, caught a light sneeze. It started playing. I don't know. All right. So we are at our halftime. Eddie, what would you be thinking normally? If this were a wrestling match, if this were kind of a break in between, is there something you as a ref, uh, what's going through your mind at this point? Well, uh, halfway through the match, if we were if we were right here, I would uh, I would whisper to one of the guys, uh, "We need to pick this up because <laughs> I don't feel like we're giving the crowd what they want right now. We, we've okay. got some very interesting choices for the Mount Rushmore of controversial storylines, and some of the most important and obvious are not out there yet." Okay, all right. So let's give the crowd what they want. If we're gonna go home strong, they need to see the high spots, fellas. Okay, well, uh, I, I'm going to reserve. Uh, I'm now moderator. I'm not judge. Uh, Eddie, at the end of all this, might be counting on you to hit some of those highlights. Uh, sometimes these guys get, get kind of uh, become hipsters and kind of want to do the cool uh, deep cuts. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and let's go right into the, um, the second half. Uh, let's go with James Walker. What's your third okay. choice? Uh, well, you said you wanted some flair. So uh, this... <laughs> This story takes place on the set of a, a mock talk show they used to do uh, on WCW that was built to look like Ric Flair's, I guess, living room. Like this big, uh, it was like very Georgian, very Southern, rattan furniture and the whole thing. Um, furniture they never used because Ric Flair never sat down. Uh, there was a French maid that would walk around uh, behind him um, to make it look like he was act- we were actually in his home even though there's a studio audience. Um, so they're getting ready for war games, uh, which is teams of three uh, fighting. And uh, he has on his, uh, on his show that day, uh, the team of uh, Sting, old school Sting with the, with the face paint and the, the fun surfer Sting uh, and the British Bulldog and uh, who, did not get, I don't think that it was a talk show because he stands with his back to the camera for like the whole time. <laughs> and uh, they get in there talking about war games and they have an announcement and an outcome. Psycho Sid, uh, along with Harlem Heat, because they're the heel team for war games. And, uh, you know, in classic WCW style, everyone steps on everyone else's line. No one knows what's going on. Um, you know, uh, Sid's trying to get, he's just got to get to the question, uh, who's your partner kind of a thing. He eventually gets to it and Sting delivers his line, which is, uh, you're not ready for, you know, our team. Cause it's literally going to shock you. At which point the camera pans over to this wall of just drywall in, in, that doesn't match the rest of Ric Flair's house. Uh, it, cuts over this sheet of drywall uh, that explodes as um, standing behind it is a a wrestler by the name of Fred Ottman, who you might know as Tugboat, uh, who's like a Hulk Hogan uh, protege in WWF. Uh, He also was Typhoon, remember the natural disasters, big, big dude. Um, So he's standing there and check out this outfit. So he's shirtless, he's wearing a duster with no sleeves, that just looks like it's made out of old tires, uh, jeans, <laughs> no belt, uh, cowboy boots. On his head, a stormtrooper helmet that's been <laughs> uh, spray painted silver and sparkly, like glitter. Uh, he's supposed to bust through the wall and come out and announce himself. Now, 
before they taped the segment, uh, someone back, as the story goes, someone backstage noticed that the drywall wasn't too sturdy because it was only, uh, it only had wood on three sides because you were supposed to bust through it. Um, this guy being a, a, a diligent union contractor probably, uh, put an extra strip of two by four along the bottom to make a square to make it sturdy. So when the shock master busts through the door, he didn't know it was there. He couldn't see anything because he's wearing this big dumb, dumb helmet. He trips over the two by four, goes down like a sack of uh, Fred Ottman and uh, <laughs> the helmet flies off his head. So he's scrambling to get the helmet. You hear over the PA system, um, someone trying not to laugh because he also couldn't talk in that helmet. So all of his voice, all of his lines were going to be uh, voiced over like a Dalek or something. He was just going to move his head like, mm, while they talk. The guy up in the booth was like, because <clears throat> he fell and his helmet came off and he looked really stupid. Finally gets it back on. They give the whole speech about, I am the shock master and I've come to shock <laughs> WCW. Uh, this is not property of George Lucas at all. Don't sue us. Uh, and you know, it's all like this big baritone thing. He makes lightning fly and they cut to like Sid looking, he's supposed to look scared, but he just kind of looks, uh, he looks annoyed that it's gone so poorly. Um, Ric Flair at this point has left to the fake balcony of his fake house with the fake maid to do Ric Flair stuff. Um, and that's it. And so the shock master shows up at, uh, the war games, uh, not, I don't think he keeps the helmet on. I can't remember if, if he wrestles in the helmet. I doubt it. And uh, quickly sort of fades away. Um, Miss so Elizabeth that, says, aren't you a little short for a shock master? <laughs> um, but huh? so, yeah. Not unlike, uh, it's reminiscent of the, uh, the gobbledygooker, which was the giant turkey that WWE, WWF uh, had come out of an egg. Uh, at uh, Survivor Series. At least that chicken didn't trip. Well, of course not. It's Hector Guerrero. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking the, the 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 bird stayed on its feet. The bird, the bird danced with Finkel, and then uh, he did some he did some flips in the. I mean, it's Hector Guerrero. He's a wrestling legend. You know. He's over. It worked. Yeah. I still want the gobbler gooker now. He's come back a couple. You know what? You're right because the Gookers come back a couple times. Yeah. Uh, for like uh, gimmick matches and stuff. But he's over. What What is the name of the turkey? What was the name? The gobbledygooker. The, the gobbledygooker. <laughs> Tell me about the gobbledygooker. Uh, they had well, it was the same kind of thing where they teased it forever. They had this giant egg that would sit next to the ring, and every you know week. Me and Gene would talk about how she he didn't know what was in the egg and, and uh, <laughs> who was going to come out of it. And, and, you know, at the time, I was too young to, like, look into dirt sheets or, or wrestling rumors. But I've heard tell since that people suspected every independent free agent wrestler to come out of – was going to come out of that egg. Like, they were like, oh, maybe Ric Flair is going to join WWF and all oh, this stuff. Cool. And um, the result was very disappointing to a lot of people. <laughs> Here, Jeff. Jeff, you'll appreciate this. It was for uh, Survivor Series, I believe. Yeah. And uh, the Survivor Series is the annual show that takes place um, uh, in and around Thanksgiving. This was so, on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Oh, there you go. As yeah, you want to spend time with your family um, watching um, wrestling and then a giant man in a turkey costume emerge from an egg and <laughs> dance the uh, hokey pokey. That, Which dance that, was it that, that he danced Survivor, with Mean Gene? That, turkey in yeah. the Straw. That Survivor Series, incidentally, was the uh, the premiere or the arrival of The Undertaker in the WWF. That was his <laughs> first. Luckily, he didn't come out of the egg. I don't know if that was There's, ru well. There's rumors that he was supposed oh, to come real? out of the yes. egg. Yeah, he was one of the options for what was going to come out of the egg. The Undertaker. Yeah. 21 <laughs> and 1 at WrestleMania, my ass. Well, over you, got a turkey. you got a turkey and a goat, so there you go. Okay, hey. dudes. All right, let's uh, move on to the third choice from Richard and Michael. Uh, so I'll go uh, next. And I guess, uh, you know, my current state of um, following storylines uh, with the WWE specifically kind of fell apart about, what, five, six, seven years ago. Um, so all my stuff is just rooted in 
like the attitude era. And the first, one of the first things I thought of when Richard and I were kind of throwing around ideas was when um, the stable of wrestlers known as Degeneration X uh, came to the ring to mock the stable of wrestlers known as the Nation of uh, Domination. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, you yeah. got it right. Thank you. Um, to, and they came out dressed in blackface in like 1998 or 1999. And like, I don't know, is there ever a good good time to do that? And I think the answer is no. And you just think about, and it was just like, they did it one time, but the one time of like the mischief makers, like they were, Jeff, uh, to bring you up to speed. So there was a group of wrestlers called Degeneration X and they were kind of like the they're the bad boys. The di- I, I was gonna say the dicks of the yeah. Jeff, of, of like the wrestling uh, world at the time. They were anti-authority. They had um, no respect for you know fill in the blank whatever you want to fill in the blank for. They did a lot of um, crotch chopping with their hands and mm. you know as they all do beat people up. The Nation of Domination was a group of wrestlers who was the like black. A militant, uh, uh, also kind of anti-authority, but at the time they were led by uh, The Rock, who was uh, on the verge of turning from uh, heel to uh, babyface. And you know, when you come out and you're dressed in spray tan and you're dressed in Afro rigs, and some people just flat out shoe polish on your face, wow. uh, mocking people, it's just. It's not a good look for really anybody. It's not a good look for the people that you are mocking as well, that are these gigantic men that you just accept that this is what it is. Yeah. And they're like the people that were kind of in charge at the time too, or at least uh, Triple H, super buddy-buddy with uh, Vince McMahon. I don't know if he was then engaged to uh, Vince's daughter or if that was later on. But – it's just, just don't ever do that. And <laughs> I think they, I think they did that once, and that it feels like enough to like have soiled. Like if Bart Simpson was ever to have come out wearing blackface, mm-hmm. you'd be like, okay, I'm a hundred percent turned off on Bart Simpson. I understand he is like the mischievous, you know, trickster character within The Simpsons. Yeah. But when you go a step too far and you're grown men doing it, it's just like. Like Hank Azaria. It's just disgusting. <laughs> yeah, like Hank Azaria. <laughs> so it seems like the transgression is a theme with you. Um, I'll leave this up to the ref to determine, but mm-hmm. ref right now, we've got them talking about uh, crossing a line. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in that in life. Uh, uh, you want to be bold. You want to do something big. You want to really get over. And so you're going to try to do something nobody's seen before. They've taken a risk. Is there a way to know a way to calculate that risk in terms of not being offensive in terms of like racial or religious iconography. Do you have an opinion about that? Um, you know, I think we, I think we as a culture and society always decide when and where that line is. It's, it's an ever moving line. Um, and I don't think you really understand where the line is until you cross it. You can't, you know, at some point the line is crossed. That's what somebody is saying is that that no longer feels like a comfortable area of discussion or, or what have you. Um, and we're definitely so looking those, back on it 20 years later and yeah. saying like, oh, maybe at, at the time it was fine. I, I'd say a good line to see whether something is um, well received or not or appropriate is whether Jerry the King Lawler is applauding it or not. <laughs> and if he is like super in favor of it, just be like, oh, no, the other – <laughs> Whatever the other side of that is, that's that's where we should be. If it's if it's um, a little too gratuitous and um, awful uh, treatment of women, or if it's uh, just you know uh, blatantly mocking um, mm-hmm. your black employees. Uh, one of the things I constantly argue about pro wrestling is that it was it was never as good as we thought it was. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's never the storylines are. We have some fictional imagination because it's we were kids we liked it when we were kids and a kid isn't nearly as discerning and everything that surrounds us makes it wonderful and fantastic and 
amazing. And then we get to be older and we yell at wrestling and say, how come you don't make me feel like a kid anymore? Because we, we changed. But the matches were never any good. The people were never any good. The <laughs> stories were all terrible. Like, whatever your first thing that you liked in wrestling was not a masterpiece. It was a piece of shit that you were just like, holy shit, this is the coolest fucking thing ever. And then we changed. And we're like, boo Roman Reigns. Like, get the fuck out of here. If I was nine years old, I'd love Roman Reigns. His name was Kevin Nash. But he wasn't. But he's more athletic. <laughs> you know, like, Roman can move. Get the fuck out of here. It's also a, a case of them not learning the lesson over time. Because about maybe 10 years before DX did that, Roddy Roddy Piper uh, did half blackface yeah. with his entire body. Um, and, you know, he still talked, well, not today, but he would talk about regretting it in the years that followed. Uh, but no one learned the lesson from that. And DX came out in full blackface. So I could, yeah. Uh... So oh, James, that seemed way after the time too. Yeah, we're talking about the the big big promotions. Um, Eddie and James, do you guys have any uh, local shows to to LA or to other regions that you like to go to? Uh, James introduced me to bar wrestling, and I know yeah. you're a fan of wrestling pro wrestling. Either of you? I mean, I uh, I started working out here with Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, which is always awesome. Um, wow, Women of Wrestling does their tapings here, and I'm always with them. Uh, recently, we actually put on a pro wrestling show at the Comedy Store, and we're looking to try to do that again. But we had David Arquette. Dan Black thing or no? Something different. Never mind. Sorry, that was you. Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Yeah. No, but right in the middle of the Comedy Store, we put on a, a wrestling show in November. So I always go find local pro wrestling. And I think pro wrestling, much like stand-up comedy, is one of those art forms that you should be in the room if you can be. So anytime you can see pro wrestling live, wherever it is, whenever it is, it's a much better medium in person than it is. Even, you know, with the store horseman, the podcast I do out of the comedy store, where we talk wrestling. It, like I started to become a part of that because we would do big watch alongs for the pay-per-views in the belly room. And like, just, it was a free event and everyone came and ordered drinks and you'd have like people who listen to the podcast come by. And I was just like, it's, even watching the stream live with people, it was just such a, a better energy. So always go see pro wrestling live if you can. Richard and I had gone to um, a number of um, PWG shows here uh, mm. in the Valley. And what I remembered when we first saw it and what I appreciated was the people that were there were in on the, uh, were in on the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And it delved so much into comedy it delves so much into people just buying in whatever was going on within the ring or just before mm -hmm. the ring and outside. It was amazing. The difference between how seriously, you know, the WWE takes it versus the people that are actually doing it and, you know, having matches where, uh, you know, you're deathly afraid of stepping on Legos and you're just yeah. like this. These are people that are doing it, that get it, whether it's, uh, a more local thing, whether it's just, it, it was a very different experience when you're jammed in with a couple hundred people, you know, breaking the fire marshal code and yeah. you're just like, okay, this is, this is a different sort of, a different sort of experience versus, you know, you're watching it on TV and you see the specific angles that the TV producers want you to see. Uh, it's yeah. Local wrestling's great. Yeah. I can't okay. wait till we get it back. James Walker, this is your fourth and final choice. What do you What do you want to tell us about? Um, didn't make my list, but it's interesting. You brought up uh, David Arquette. Him winning the championship probably should have made my list, but um, yeah. he's so Arquette good. just won the world title. No, I tell yeah. you what, though, I got a chance to see him at bar wrestling. He's amazing now. I I loved it, but that's not on my list. My my fourth or third or wherever we are. Um, so. There was a thing going around in this is the Attitude Era still, again, sorry, um, where all of the wrestlers think they're legitimate tough guys in addition to being fake TV tough guys. Uh, so they got it in their heads, creative or whoever, or Vince or Russo or whoever, to do something called a Brawl for All tournament, which was going to bring real fighting into the WWE. The problem with that is once you say this fighting is going to be real. 
everyone starts asking, well, what's all this other fighting that you're making us buy every week as real fighting? What's the line, right? And added to which, um, they had a plan for who was going to win the Brawl for All tournament. So even though they were purporting it as the first real fighting in WWF, they still wanted to game the system. And uh, they had chosen Dr. Death Steve Williams to be their winner because they're going we're going to give him a big push. He's, he's a legitimate badass. He's going to come out of the brawl for all. He's going to knock everyone senseless. It's going to be great. He's going to be our new guy. Um, in the first round, he faced Bart Gunn and uh, tore, I believe it was a hamstring pull or something like that, hurt himself. Bart Gunn knocked him out, and uh, they suddenly had no idea what they were going to do for the rest of the thing. But they had planned it over a course of like, I think like four weeks leading up to a pay-per-view of all these matches. And it was like, uh, can, you know, all the, all the real quote-unquote bad guys or, or tough guys. So it was like Battle of the Tough Guys from No Holds Barred. Familiar? Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, know, yeah. That, that seminal uh, work. So uh, it was Shamrock and Billy Gunn and Dr. Death and Mark Marrow. Both Road Warriors were in there. Uh, the Godfather, Savio Vega. Uh, all these guys that purported to be really tough. And they had to sort of hobble through it. There were multiple injuries. People were getting hurt left and right. Um, nobody liked watching it. They couldn't time it for TV because it was it was real, but it was also on a point system, but there was also no time limit. So it was just this real head scratcher that went on forever. And eventually Bart Gunn, who took out Steve Williams, won the whole thing. And so you would think, well, he's going to get the push that they were going to give Steve Williams. They didn't give him any push at all. Um, uh, you probably know his brother better, uh, Billy Gunn. Um, badass Billy Gunn, who was a member of DX. Uh, Bart Gunn then showed up uh, in another, they did another Brawl for All, and it wasn't a tournament this time. It was just him versus uh, professional boxer Butterbean. I don't know if you guys know Butterbean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, once saw me to sheet, uh, sheet cake on the Arsenio Hall show. It was great. Uh, the whole thing in, in between commercial breaks. And uh, so they were going to have a real boxing match. Um, and uh, Butterbean knocked him out in like seconds. And that was it. You never heard of it again. They never did it again. Um, it's, I think everyone agrees it's, it was a dumb idea. And uh, those lines need to not be blurred between real and fake because people start to notice. Yeah, it's, it was a bad idea, poorly executed. Yeah. Because if your idea is to get Dr. Dev Williams over, just fake the fights. Have well, them tap guys out. Yeah, don't put your talent in danger. Yeah, well, beyond that, yeah. I don't, oh. Bob Hawley talks about this, and, and I, I've read the interviews with him because he was one of the guys who was involved in it, and he actually said a lot of guys were wanted to get involved at the start because you made extra money for being involved in it. There was a financial reward for, for winning this thing. Right. But it became evident pretty quickly that getting yourself hurt was not worth the extra $5,000 or whatever you made for winning a bout in this thing. Okay, so if we're tracking at home, uh, James Walker has chosen Big Boss Man and Al Snow, Big Boss Man and the big show Casket Heist slash Home Invasion, uh, Ric Flair uh, with the Shockmaster, Shockmaster, and Brawl Brawl for All, Bart Gunn, and now Richard and Michael are going to enter their last choice for the Mount Rushmore. All right. You mentioned Ric Flair. And, you know, everyone knows and loves Ric Flair. You know, the, the nature boy. Kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, jets, all that stuff. Um, you know what's great to see? Is Ric Flair have a heart attack in the middle of the ring. Which is exactly what WCW brought to us back in 1998. Uh, so to set the stage, it's 1998. WCW is starting to fall apart, frankly. All of the stars have creative control. Everybody is, you know, egos are running amok. Uh, Ric Flair at one point misses a, a TV taping to go watch his son uh, in a high school wrestling tournament. And Eric Bischoff, who is not only the on-air head of the NWO, but is also the guy who is running everything behind the scenes 
gets pissed off at Flair and in real life tries to sue him because of this. So they think, well, let's turn this into an angle because everyone is interested in the backstage machinations of wrestling politics in 1998. So this becomes a feud between Flair and Bischoff. And at one point, Flair gets in the ring and he cuts this promo on Bischoff. And it's a really, it's actually a really good Ric Flair promo. And he's ranting and he's getting beat red in the face and he's wooing all over the place and he's dropping his elbows on his jacket doing the whole nine yards they get done with the interview uh gene okerlund is getting ready to throw it to a commercial when rick flair collapses in the corner grasping his left arm um they then proceed to show the whole thing where they have people coming from the back like arn anderson and jj Dillon and david crockett for god's sakes they found somewhere um all out there to tend to him as the announcers are basically saying oh well maybe he hurt his shoulder when he dropped a when he dropped his elbow on his jacket but then they start going into the very serious this is not part of the wrestling this is something very serious that has happened boys and they cart him away on a in a in a stretcher and take him off in an ambulance about a half hour later eric bischoff comes out and he's not dressed in his usual wrestling kind of slick garb he's got like a pullover on and he's wearing glasses to come out and say that rick flair's had a mild heart attack and there are certain things in wrestling that are real and certain things that are not and we hope that everything is going to be okay and that is literally where they leave the angle for the week so of course you know they're going to build off of this and 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 obviously they're going to use this as a, a a platform for some bigger thing of course they didn't. It's WCW. It's 1998. All they did was the next week they had Flair come out and say that he he had actually been poisoned by Eric Bischoff. <laughs> because they needed to retcon it because the reaction to it was so negative that they're like, how do we how do we fucking fix this? Oh yeah, he was poisoned. That's how they fixed it. Um, heart attack angles never work in wrestling. Um, they did what, a few years before that. Fritz von Eric. In Texas, they did a heart attack angle with him. Um, and it just, it never works. I mean, there's, we're willing to accept somebody getting bashed on the head with a steel chair 20 times in a row or falling off the top of a, a hell in a cell ring. But we're not willing to accept actual injuries <laughs> that feel like they are real injuries. Uh-huh. It's like our suspension of disbelief gets all fucked up whenever something like this happens. Lawler had a real one, didn't he? Yeah, he did while he was commentating. And yeah. uh, they had, and uh, poor Michael Cole had to um, keep commentating on the match as they're giving CPR to Jerry Lawler right next to him on the ringside. Yeah, like I said, I don't know that they would do an angle like this post Owen Hart. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that selling an injury or selling some sort of, Medical emergency after that, I think, is probably even in too poor taste for modern wrestling. Mm-hmm. But it absolutely was not in too poor taste for WCW in 98 because that place was a shit show. All right. So we're just saying it's kind of fascinating how the reality is just too real. Is that is that how you'd articulate it or what? what is it? Yeah, I think that there are certain things in wrestling we're willing to accept. We're willing to have a suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. I think whenever you, whenever you try to monkey with that too much, and whenever you try to 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 break that relationship you've got you built up with the with the wrestling fans. Yeah, and especially with someone like Ric Flair, mm-hmm. who everyone just be, be, the most beloved figure in wrestling history. Yeah, it's you're just you're you're playing with fire. Mm-hmm. James Walker, man, just uh, really coming in strong and really swaggering here. Uh, but I am not the referee. Indeed, Eddie Firth is the referee. But let me kind of uh, sum up uh, uh, Richard and Mike, his former partner, Michael's choices. Uh, big Boss Man, Big Show, Casket Heist, Home Invasion was one that they mentioned, too. The ECW Extreme Sandman Raven uh, storyline. Uh, that uh, just crossed the line. The Nation of Domination and DX storyline and Ric Flair heart attack. Um, so, Eddie, 
let me ask you, I don't know how much you get to share or which is uh, revealing too much. As a Before you do your job as a referee here and call the match, um, what are some things that a referee does that maybe not everybody knows that they do? Is that sharing, revealing the curtain? Uh, um, too much? What, I, what, I, what I'll say is we are, uh, we are essential in communication. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair we, enough. We, we really help uh, performers communicate with themselves, uh, with each other, communicate with the back. I, I'm more or less, we're there to support the story. I never want to get in anybody's way. The, uh, you know, I'm there to I, I'm there to effectively finish the match, but it's somebody else's show. I am a bit player. I uh, I just make sure I support them in anything that they need. Check on everybody. Really do make sure they're okay. I, I am, in a very real sense, if somebody were to get hurt in the ring, which mm -hmm. happens on occasion, I'm the first point of communication for anything. I'm, uh, you know, the the other wrestler may find out first, and if they find out first, I'm second. So, oh wow, it, it's a very interesting mix of, of real things and pretend, you know, make believe things. Mm -hmm. Do you happen? Do, do you happen to have a twin who might also be a referee who might be not. evil? It would be great if I did. We could tour over. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be incredible. Not since twin doinks has there been. By the <laughs> by the way, the uh the the Hebner switch should be on the Mount Rushmore of controversial storylines. They literally introduced an evil twin and they actually had a twin ready to go. This was not some fake referee. This was somebody who was a real referee and happened to have a twin and the two of them ultimately switch jobs in real life. So Earl was the bad referee, the evil one, and Dave was the guy who was refereeing all the time. So Earl was the guy who never refereed. He worked in the back, and they're like, well, you're going out, and you're going to pretend to be Dave. Like, it fucking, it, they switched <laughs> in real life, too. That should be on the Mount Rushmore. But it was, abs it was controversial, but it absolutely worked. And sometimes controversial angles can work. One of the ones that I had on my preliminary list that we talked about with Michael was when Jake the Snake Roberts Snake bit uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. How is that's no that's top that has to be towards the top. A snake <laughs> bit a human, a real snake, a real King Cobra bit a real human on the Saturday morning television. Uh, and that's I, that's, I, that's at yeah. least number two on the list. As the referee, you are absolutely uh, allowed to go in and put some of your choices in there. Um, these guys could get zero points uh, and it would all be fair in love and war. So if you want to, at this point, award uh, Richard and Michael any points or reward uh, award James any points, go for it. We can give away a total of four. You could choose two to give away to the Hebner switch and the, <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, the, the, the snake if you want. So uh, what are your choices? The Sandman and Raven with the cross is 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 really really strong because that did it did kind of ripple and last um, as as one of those infamous stories. The Ric Flair heart attack did not strike me as a story that's told as often as the rest of them. Um, I know that doesn't count. I say we would pick Shockmaster and Brawl for All, and then DX and the Nation and Sandman and Raven if we were going to make an ultimate out of those choices. Because even though the Shockmaster is what it is, it's one of the most infamous moments in the history of the business. And when you talk about controversy, it 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 creates controversy among fans. Like it's the number one watched thing on YouTube for all of pro wrestling right now. So Shockmaster, Brawl for All, DX in the Nation, and then the Sandman Raven angle where Raven got crucified. All right. Uh, so Sandman got crucified. Okay, so it looks like that's two and two for each of these guys. So... Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a tie. Good job, guys. So I, right. I want, I, as we are running out of time, I want to thank again, uh, uh, our guest who is James Walker. Um, James, so, so awesome, man. Thank you so much for, oh, no, thanks for having me. It was yeah. fun. We got to get you back on cause you're such a knowledgeable dude with cool stuff. So, and I want to thank our guest referee, Eddie Firth. Uh, Eddie, do you have anything you want to promote? Any Zoom comedy shows or anything like that? Seems like everybody's out out on Zoom yeah. these days. Uh, just check out the Store Horseman podcast on Apple iTunes. It's a bunch of comedians. We talk wrestling every week out of the comedy store. 
we've still been posting them uh, since quarantine. So we just zoom in and uh, follow historical roast and fictional roast on Instagram. And uh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. This was Thank a blast. All right. This has been the Mount Rushmore of controversial wrestling angles. Our guests have been Eddie Firth and James Walker. And of course the schmoes that, you know, uh, Michael Winfield and Richard Manfredi. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. Michael. And I'm gone. Michael. I'm Michael. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Thanks very much. Bye.